Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. If you are listening and you're wanting to ask a question yourself, please check out my email address or my social handles that are in the uh, show notes and uh, send in your questions and we'll make sure we get to them. So today, and again, always anonymous, uh, not only for respect for you, but also for your children. <laughs> Don't want to discover this podcast in 20 years and know they were being talked about. I will always keep your confidentiality. But today we have uh, this question, hoping you can speak to something that I find has not been highlighted in most of the discussions and articles surrounding remote learning, the preschool age children being left in the dust due to parents whose focus is on maintaining everything they did pre-COVID plus focusing on managing the e-learning of school age children. I joke that my third child, three years old, is like an orphan these days, as my other young children, five and seven, require so much assistance to keep their e-learning going. But I'm really feeling sad about this. I feel like I am either neglecting him or my kid's school isn't running smoothly. I worry about the implications of this at this precious age and period of development and the long-term impact the lack of socialization and drastic increase in screen time will have. Would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and she says, thank you so much. I'm a new listener, and you've quickly become one of my new favorite podcasters. Well, thank you for that. Great to to have you on board and appreciate that call out. Uh, so here we are. Can you imagine a three, five, and seven-year-old, and uh, you know, you're home and trying to juggle all of this? And I think that's really where I want to begin, which is we have to look holistically at the entire family institution, the whole social system of the family. And look at all the demands that each person brings, the needs that each person has, and what we can work out together. And we need to do that with a new formula that takes into consideration that these are not 
normal times, that you can't take what you normally would have done as a parent-supporting learner, you can't take what you normally would have done as a worker, what you normally would have done with engaging a three-year-old, and think that you're going to compile all those different demands on top of each other and do it according to the old formula. Instead, we have to look with beginner's eyes, with fresh eyes. What does this moment require? What does the needs of the situation require from each of us? And so not only do we need to meet those requirements, but also each person in the family has to shoulder a little bit of this in in these unusual times. And what I mean by that is then as concrete uh, advice Yes, you need to be able to meet the developmental demands of a three-year-old. That doesn't mean stop everything you're doing, lay down everybody else's requirements, and give 100% attention to your three-year-old. They need to have playtime. They need to feel loved. They need to feel that their smiles are reflected back to them with smiles of unconditional love and acceptance, that we have to allow them to have playtime and interaction, develop their skills and competencies. But they've got you. They've got parents to play with. They have their siblings to play with. Not all day long. You're not going to stop what you're doing. But they're also going to learn how to self-entertain. They're going to learn incredible skills of helping, doing, participating. So that may be that you need to shoulder some of the responsibility onto the five and seven-year-old and to say, I know that you've got on-class learning, but you've also got a three-year-old at home. And so our family, unlike different families, have a different situation. And so we may not be able to do synchronous learning every day of the week, that we may need to condense our learning into just a couple of hours or one hour in the morning, one hour in the afternoon. And so check in with the teacher and see what needs to, to happen so that there is more family time on top of, and play time on top of time when the three-year-old would be expected to uh, self-entertain themselves or have the three-year-old jump up with their coloring book and watch as the five-year-old is going to class. It may turn out that your three-year-old is suddenly the smartest kindergartner there is. Um, and uh, and that might not be her first choice of activity, but, um, but your five-year-old also deserves to check in with her classmate. So it's going to be some kind of a hybrid formation amongst that. Everybody is resilient. Nobody's going to get the best optimal situation. But I think if we if we spread the the burden and we make sure that we hit the minimum, I have no reason to believe that with that good faith that that this is not a completely toxic situation. It'll be a toxic situation if everybody implodes, blows up, melts down, freaks out, and that's the part that we're trying to not happen. Um, you know, that we can get a, a modicum, a minimum of school, that we can get a modicum, a minimum amount of love and playtime, that you can get enough work done, that you don't get fired if you talk to your people and say you need some flexibility on deadlines or you need to do some job sharing. Uh, so I, I think if we look holistically at that and have uh, have faith in that we can hit those minimum marks and more if we're if we're up for it, uh, then, then we should do fine. So I hope that I hope that gives you uh, some ideas. But that three-year-old can absolutely play independently, help get snacks, color quietly at the table. There's there's still lots of juicy goodness happening uh, in the family. So so um, hopefully that relieves some of your guilt. <laughs> okay, the next one here it says. Um, 
Uh, I heard you were asking about our latest power uh, parenting struggles, and ours is with a 10-year-old son. Not sure how much specific information you're looking for, but any tips on how to teach him to take responsibility or accept the consequences and reactions for his actions? He always blames others when things don't go his way. We try to show him that all actions, positive and negative, have reactions, but he doesn't seem to grasp this. He blames his sister, me, but has difficulty looking at himself. Any tips would be appreciated. Uh, so I'm going to give my best go at this. And here's the limitations where giving advice on a podcast is um, never going to be as optimal as meeting a family in my private counseling practice and really getting to know some of the nitty-gritty. The one wonderful thing about Adlerian psychology is that is that we dig deep into the personal stories of each person in the family. You know, if I was that kid in that family with this history, these memories, these experiences, and the way that I interpreted them and created a, a story about life, uh, we call it our private logic. We we talk about having our um, our sort of rules, implicit rules for, for living uh, so that we really understand the individual. doesn't always mean that what they've cobbled together leads for healthy functioning. It gets in our way, but there are these constructs that we make for ourselves. And uh, they're very, very unique. And it's a real joy to work with a family where we get to piece together the mosaic and the interactions of each person's unique experience and how that all comes together. So it's never going to be as rich on a podcast when I just get the the short bits and I can't dig in and ask questions. But nonetheless, I think you've been enjoying the podcast in that I can take the history of, of um, some other families that I've worked with and some other patterns of interactions that I see and give you enough at least, um, you know, understanding and some tips to work with some of these concepts that can still bring you some, some relief in a sort of generic way. So um, with that caveat... Here's uh, some some interesting information. When I hear about kids who don't take responsibility uh, and who blame, the first thing that crosses my mind in a pattern that I generally see in families is that kids who are demanding tend to have a general attitude of of sort of entitlement. They tend to be demanding kids, and they're dependent kids, which means likely in a family system, there is a parent, more likely the mother because of how mothers step up in the nurturance, uh, take a more primary role often in the family uh, around uh, the parenting responsibilities, uh, feel more beholden to look after that nurturance and, and delegation in the family. Not for the right or the wrong of it, but that's the pattern. And so there's often a very willing parent. She might not be happy about it, but if there's a mom who believes that she's passing off responsibility to the child, but is unaware or has a blind spot for how she might not be fully holding that child responsible and fully handing over that responsibility, such that the child still gets some freedoms, but has the alibi of blaming the mother. So I'll just give you a small example. You know, it may well be that the mother believes that the son should be responsible for their hockey equipment, you know, and that, uh, you know, you need to pack your bag and take it to the car and get it to the arena and air it out when you come home. 
and the mother believes she's handled this responsibility. But in fact, she reminds the child, she nags the child, she checks the bag, she says, hey, 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 you're missing a, you know, a shin pad here. And when they don't air it, she said, oh, you know what, I, I, you didn't take it out of the bag right, it's never going to get enough air that way, I'm going to drape it over the chair this way. So to the mother's mind, she feels like this is the child's responsibility, but she keeps interfering. She keeps creating this safety net, this checking system. And the child's belief is, this isn't really my responsibility. She's she's just micromanaging me, and she's she's not going to let me forget a shin pad. She's not going to let the, the hockey shirt get moldy and stinky. She's going to go double-check it and open it up and air it or whatever it might be. And then, of course... Here the child goes to the hockey arena, checks his bag, and suddenly it's like, oh, the, the shin pad is missing. The hockey glove was left on, uh, you know, in the hallway. And who do they get mad at? Mother. What did you do? You didn't have my stuff, right? And, of course, the mother's version of the story is that your hockey equipment is your responsibility. Don't blame me. And the child's version of the story is, no, it's not my responsibility. You you hover around and double check and look after all this stuff. This isn't really mine to do. You don't act like it's mine to do. And so there's been some confusion, really. So the parent sees it as he won't handle the consequences. He doesn't like, he blames me for it. But somehow we might have been a, a participant in understanding that this is the way the world works because we're still not good at actually letting them accept their consequences. And so... In the hockey example, I might stop reminding, checking bags, you know, redoing things for them. And I might just stand in the moment and say, I'm so sorry you don't have your hockey gloves or your hockey shin pads. You're not allowed to play on the ice. I'm sorry you're disappointed. I know you look forward to hockey. I can be compassionate. I can be empathetic. Um, but I don't need to change their 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 bad feelings about not going on the ice. Um, but I'm certainly not going to go to the coach and try to jump through hoops to clean this up, they're experiencing the consequence. They're realizing, boy, if I don't want this to happen again, maybe I need to be the one who checks my bag. So I would just let that play out. So um, think about whether or not their reactions are happening in such a way that that you're not letting them be responsible. So another one comes with homework and schoolwork. And we'll say, well, school's your responsibility. You need to do school. And then they get all upset when they miss a deadline or they get a bad mark and they think the teacher just doesn't like them. Well, that's a child who hasn't really realized, oh, this really is my responsibility. Perhaps it's because you do nag. Perhaps it is because you do overcheck their agenda. Perhaps it's because you do say, turn off the TV. You got to test more. You need to focus. So they don't really feel... With all that safety net, they haven't connected the dots. And we're mad at them that they haven't connected the dots, that this is your job, but we're still sort of playing interference. So ask yourself whether or not you're you're maybe stepping in, rescuing, cleaning up life a little bit too much for them. They haven't made that connection. And then certainly when it comes to the sister, you know, because you did bring this up that it's uh, he always blames his sister, it's uh, another misconception that parents have that... Um, when there is a kerfuffle happening, that we tend to pick one person as being the guilty party and the other one as being the innocent victim of some dynamic. When the truth is, if there is a sibling interaction that goes to conflict, you might not see it. But in fact, the sister is complicit in in helping sustain this dynamic as well. So if you feel that he is feeling the victimhood um, of his sister never getting in trouble, 
Um, it could well be that um, that you're taking sides unwittingly, feeling like you're making fair judgment, but any judgment, you, you're going to disenfranchise one of the parties. So my general rule is two people, two siblings get into some altercation. Both of them are responsible for how that goes, and both of them need to experience the same consequence. Um, so if it is they're fighting over the computer, they both lose computer time. If they are um, disagreeing over what they want for supper, I would say, you know, I'm going to let you guys work that out. Come to me when you've made an agreement on the one thing I'm going to cook for dinner. So um, do not take sides. That can help with building up that relationship as well. And then there's some kids who really just have this life uh, view that, um, you know, because of early experiences, I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop. It always happens to me. I'm always the victim. And if that's the case, that could take some some psychotherapy to have a reframe on life, to have them understand why they can't kind of came up with that understanding of the world and to see how disempowering it is. And that may be outside of the work of what a parent can do. Um, so if that continues... Uh, even with some of the ideas that I've given you, please look into some family counseling and we can look at some of that private logic that's not so healthy. Um, okay, last one here as I'm looking at uh, our time. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for the opportunity to ask some important parenting questions. The first one I have is about my teenagers and self-confidence. My 13-year-old daughter used to be very confident in her early years, not afraid of dancing on stages or at parties, singing, letting her opinions be known. Now she seems to be really lacking confidence, not only in not wanting to be a part of the performances, even virtually, but in general. I feel it has a lot to do with her fear of what other people will think of her. How can I help her gain back some of her confidence or feel less worried about what other people will think? Oh, yes. So as our children move into adolescence, we often see a bit of a crisis in confidence. We see self-esteem that used to blossom seems to dwindle. And part of this is developmental in that the adolescent period is marked by a change in focus from finding our place and our significance and the reflection of our worth being shone back at us by our parents to a shift to the importance of fitting into our peer group, the peer group in which we will spend the rest of our adult life, right? We spend the first couple of handful of years in our nuclear nest and the rest of our life in peer-to-peer -peer relationships. So it's a really important transition. And of course, it happens right when we're going through puberty and our body is changing. And it's right at a time when youth culture sends us all these rules about the social hierarchy and how popularity works. And it's very finessed. And um, it's complicated to figure out. And there's a lot going on uh, just at a time when our, our kids aren't sure about themselves, learning about themselves from a new perspective. And the brain is hypersensitive to peer reactions, to facial expressions. We are uh, there's a heightened reaction to perceived rejection. Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot going on, and so it would make sense to me that most people that had strong legs under them in terms of their self confidence would have a wobble moment. 
but the point is we don't want that wobble moment to to go on forever and to lead to a, crisis, a complete crisis for them. We want them to be successful in their social interactions. We want them to have the, the benefit of finding their way in a peer group that's healthy, that reflects healthy relationships. Um, so part I would say, check back on your own adolescence. How did it go for you? Can you remember your 13-year-old self? Do you remember what friendships were like, how tenuous they were, how scary they were, how transient they were, how unhealthy some of them were? It's a lot of experimentation. And she has a lot of years to figure this out. But in terms of the support that you can give her, I think as parents, we need to be on the journey. Um, we want to stay in close relationships with our kids so that although they've got one foot in their their peer and the priority in their peer life, that they can always come back to the root of the calm, loving acceptance of their family, a place for them to process and and discuss the challenges that they're having. So keep that relationship healthy. And point out her strengths. Point out the things that she's very good at and how can she put those good strengths to use. Because sometimes what becomes valued in our peer um, youth culture, and especially during COVID when life is online with filters and social media, which is a very vetted, curated story about what adolescence should look like or how many likes you have or how big your lips are, how big your bum is, or you know all these things that are, of course, have nothing to do with true values. We have to really help them navigate the story of, of social media. So we need to have that digital literacy piece in there, and we need to talk about what their values are. What are what what's important to them? What kind of person do they want to become? Um, because those aren't necessarily going to be front and foremost in the things that they're interacting with. To be able to think about what's a good friendship look like, what does a healthy relationship look like, and that could be things that you talk about in the in the context of their own personal experience, rudeness that happens online, attitude that happens online, but it could also be in the TV movies and the series and the sitcoms that you watch that you can sort of use those as springboard for conversations, you know? So what's going on in your world? Do you find that people really think that you're a better person if you have a boyfriend? Um, is that true? What, um, is, is Do people feel the pressure to, to couple up because they think that that's what maturity looks like? What if you don't really haven't found anyone that you're like or you're not ready for that part yet? How do you combat that? So a lot of it is about being in these conversations that doesn't necessarily need to be about their specific situation, but about all the things that go on for 13-year-olds and all the things that they're, you know, seeing that's being presented to them and, and challenging the accuracy of it and making sure that they feel their own, um, that they've got their people, that you're like, yeah, you know what a good friend is. You know how to be a good friend. And you know one thing I know about you, you're a really caring person. And I notice that in the way that you look after our dog or the way that you care about the environment with looking after our recycle. Keep keep sharing with them all those kinds of attributes and say, you know, you'll find your people. I don't know where your people are right now, but when you when you find people that share those values, care for others, care for the environment, people that have maybe a love of dance or, you know, uh, a, lo a love of art, whatever it might be, um, let's find those people. And, and when you find those peer relationships that are healthy, respectful, you're liked for just the kind of person that you are, you don't have to change or morph or lose your family values, your personal values, that's going to be really comfortable. So it's going to be a long journey. It's going to be sloppy. The confidence is going to wane as she finds her new identity, experiments with different identities. It's uh, it's not um, 
It's not always going to be a clean through line, but if you can sort of show that you're there on the journey and have belief in her and you keep those positive attributes top of mind, I think that will do wonders. Um, she also has a second question here regarding her daughter's friend group, and so which I was just talking about. She said, what would be considered normal freedoms for a 13-year-old to hang out with friends? COVID has provided me with an easy out for now that she is not allowed to go over to her friends' houses or vice versa. But in the summer, she was able to go to the park with her friends. My daughter does not ask now because she knows my stance because of the COVID restrictions. I know that when the restrictions ease, she's going to want more freedom again. She wants to hang out at the mall, the local strip plaza. My main concern is that I found out that some of her friends vape and her closest friend, who's also the same age, occasionally smokes weed, and that her older brother also um, bought it for her. He also buys the vapes for the gang as well. I uh, only know this information because I read it in her journal, which I know I shouldn't do. She said, thanks for that advice on Instagram today. I really need to hear that. Uh, she said, my daughter is not open to me about these things, even though... I thought that we have a really good, loving, and close relationship. I guess my concern is that if my daughter spends times with these friends outside of school, that she might be prone to peer pressure and join in their illegal activities. And I feel that if I just say no to getting together with their friends, when it, it finally is okay to do so, that she'll resent me and it may cause problems in our mother-daughter relationship. Uh, so, you know, so here we go. This is um, this is so much of what we talked about in uh, my hashtag family talk series. Uh, we're specifically talking about preventing underage drinking. You know, you're bringing up other substances, but the, it's the same regardless of the substance. And so I invite you to go check out those resources, but I can give you some highlights here. So you are right. If you try to prohibit your child's activities or try to pick their friends and constrain them, they will be angry at you and they are likely to go around you or to even, you know, how it is, the forbidden fruit is always more exciting. It's it's not going to get you the, the end result. That, in fact, we can't keep our kids under lock and key. I know we are now because of COVID, but they have to be free to be out in the world. And the world right now has good friends and bad friends. And the world right, and I, you know, I shouldn't say that. I mean, people do good things and people do bad things. There are not good and bad people. There, there are people that are making poor choices and people that are making good choices and people that are closer to their value set and people that are not closer to their value set. And experimenting with different friend groups um, is going to be, like I said, part of this process. And what we want to do is to arm her with the idea that you will be free, you will go out into the world, and you will encounter different situations. You're going to encounter drugs. I would just go with the assumption. Forget that you, know, you read her journal. I would just say, hey, you know what? You're 13 now. Let me tell you. Uh, and maybe you can inform me. Uh, help me understand what's going on in, in your uh, world. But, um, you know... Um, most people are going to be exposed to alcohol. It's, it's showing up at the malls. It's showing up in the parking lots. It's showing up, you know, uh, at parties. You know, is that happening with your friend group? Uh, vape. Vape is very popular right now. There's a lot of kids getting sucked into that. You know, is that shown up? Have you got some friends that are doing that now? These things are going to be in their world. So we need to talk about it. And we want to talk about it in a way that is about keeping the relationship strong, to your point, because that's the number one protective factor. Strong, healthy relationships through the teen years is a strong protective factor for academic performance, for preventing teenage pregnancies, for juvenile delinquency, for addiction, for everything. Keep that relationship strong. 
and then go about it educationally. You know, I you know, I just want to make sure that you're up on this. You know, everyone thinks that they're just going to try a vape, but they don't realize that how addictive it is. They don't realize about um, some of the other ingredients that can cause health problems. And, you know, I would just go at it from your concern around that. And then also arming her with ways to say, listen, I know that a lot of people feel that the only way that you can get into a group is to behave the same way that they do. And you might feel that, well, if I don't vape, they might reject me. Or if I don't drink, they're going to think that I'm I'm not cool. And so we can talk about that pressure and to appreciate, I bet it is hard. This would be really hard. But then we can also talk about, so what's a way that you could both keep your friend group safe face and not participate in behaviors you don't want to do because then you're not true to yourself. And so what would what would it have to look like to say no and do it in a way that's empowering to you? And I would rehearse those with them. And it's okay if even some of them you have to manufacture that aren't quite on the money, but you could say, you know, hey, actually there's like a case, there's like history of asthma in my family. I have to really, my doctor says I have to really watch my lungs. I yeah, I can't, I can't really do that. That's gonna be, that's gonna be a different health concern for me than maybe for you guys. Um, or, um, yeah, you know what? My my parents are, like, super strict, and, you know, they're going to, like, lose their mind if they smell pot on me. They check every time I come in. Like, I, I'm okay being the fall guy. Like, you know, whatever. Or, you know, if they want to take a more empowered stance and say, hey, you know what? You do you. I'm I, Yeah, it's not my thing. Your child could actually be the influence that could say, you don't actually have to need to do that stuff to be cool. Like, you know, I'm going to be one of those people that says no and do it with confidence. And maybe there's going to be somebody else who's a fringe person saying, oh, good, there's one other person who said no. You know, they could be the change. They could be the positive influence to these other people that are making some different choices. You can show them what it's like to be cool and not do those things. Encourage more people to go that route. So I think it's about having those those conversations and and really making them feel that you get it, you know, you get that it's out there, you get that it's hard, you get that it's everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, there's, I'm going to actually have a, um, in, um, I believe in March, I'm having a, um, Jessica Leahy back on, whose next book is called The Addiction Inoculation. It's going to talk a lot about how to prepare our kids to to not go down the path of addiction. So there's going to be more on this in an upcoming podcast, and I'll recommend her book and put links up when she's back on. Um, but we do have to think about a lot of these choices are also about kids that are self-selecting to find a compulsive, self-soothing substance, meaning they don't have, there's too much stress, too much going on in their lives, too many bad feelings, and they're not learning how to cope with it. So when I say we need to have a good home life, that's one thing that can bring the stress down. When we can take the pressure off academics, bring the stress down around that. When we can help them navigate good friendships, bring the stress down on that. The more that we can avoid adverse childhood experiences, develop good coping mechanisms for life stressors, to sit with the natural ups and downs, pains of life. Uh, so whether that is, uh, you know, good exercise, good sleep, meditation, knowing things will pass, harnessing the power of, of keeping our, um, our thoughts in, in line with common sense as opposed to black and white, rigid, catastrophic type thinking. All those things are going to be are going to be helpful. Um, the less the less pain, psychic pain, the less we're going to reach out for relief. So I think we have to frame it around that too. How's your pain? You know, maybe your friends are in more pain than you. Uh, what's burdening you that you're feeling you need a release? 
you know, from 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 what? From anxiety, from depression, from what? You know, your your drug of choice is usually related to the type of relief it brings. So, um, you know, sometimes digging into the backstory. And the fact that she hasn't opened up to you is sometimes because our kids don't want to share the parts of themselves that they're not the proudest of. And uh, they want you to hold them in high opinion. So, so long as they have, whether it's you and you can just breach the conversation so they know that you're kind of in the know about what's going on in youth culture, or whether you get them information through somebody else, whether that's a counselor, texting a kid's helpline, another member of the family, like a favorite aunt or a, a coach, somebody in their corner that can help them process these things. And don't be... Don't be hard on yourself if their confidant on some of these particularly sensitive topics is uh, is somebody else. But I think if you broach the con- the conversation, then like, oh, wow, well, my mom's cool. She's not going to blow up when I say vape or whatever. So there you go. Now, I hope that is helpful. I thank everyone again for the questions. Hang in there. Um, I know we're all, I keep telling people uh, as this is getting posted, if we look at the calendar... Hopefully we can say to ourselves, you know what, we just need to get through, what, six more weeks of of winter uh, before we have spring. And here in Ontario, we have kind of a belief or we've been promised, we'll see if people keep their promises, about the delivery of the, the vaccine and that uh, really if we're staying online that our kids are going to have a great summer. So we're coming in the home stretch. There's light ahead of the tunnel. You've done great so far. Whatever you've done to stay strong this year, you just need to use those same strengths for the next six six weeks, and we will make it through. And I will see you next week on the podcast. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.